Blog Talk Radio. Thank you. 
judgment comes upon the law. No time to waste, run to the cross. Drunk for lies of his age. Feels too smart to believe. Trade their future for their lust. Blindly passion, they call you to join them. Fall into the order that Satan has designed. Men getting ready to sell their soul for a chance to receive his farm. Father, for revealing things to us that help us to be able to to understand not just what it is we're going through, but the why part. And the why is, uh, for, for many of us, it's, it, it's absolutely, arguably, the most important part of our walk. Because for those of us who are not just, uh, you know, kind of coasting along and accepting things as they come and we want to understand kingdom dynamics, it, it's just such a deep, deep blessing to be able to go through some really, really hard times back to back. And 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 over time, being able to look back in retrospect and see all the moving parts, all the, all the amazing many miracles that weave together over sometimes three months, sometimes five months, sometimes years. And we just thank you, Father, for helping us to understand the things that we're going through and the why part of why we're going through them uh, so that we're able to um, to, to, to handle them better. Uh, we don't feel like we're being victimized. We don't feel like we're being attacked by the devil. We don't feel like we're being chastened and taken out behind the shed. We understand that you are preparing us for the days that we have ahead and that there is necessary preparation and it's different preparation for each one of us depending on where we live, perhaps how old we are, perhaps what contributions that you have written in our books about us, the works that we're supposed to walk in, Ephesians 3.20 and uh, Psalm 139, verse 16, which arguably are some of the most important verses in the Bible for those of us who are going through these changes and this this, uh, period of time of uh, testing and uh, preparation. And um, and it is a blessing, Father. Uh, it's not a blessing when, as your scripture says, it's it's you know trials and tribulations are very difficult to go through. Uh, chasing is very difficult to go through, and, and none of it is pleasant at the time that you're going through it. 
But when we look back upon it, it's just absolutely amazing, and it does solidify the trust that we all need to have in our heart as we enter into darker days so that we don't fall into a state of uh, woe is me, uh, so we don't fall into a state of feeling victimized, so we don't fall into a state of of uh, shaking our fist and, and blaming you, Father, for, for the, the predicaments that we find ourselves. And we understand that it's not that you're doing anything. You're, you're not. It's not. You're allowing the things that ha- to happen to us. You're bringing us through these trials, these testings, these uh, this conditioning, really, uh, to, to 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 put us in a better position for the days that we have ahead. Whatever they may bring, whatever challenges we may have, whatever you have designed for us to do, that may we walk in your perfect will, may we be continuously surrounded by your angels, may we be able to see, even in the midst of the darkness and the trials and the tribulations, your hand in our walk and know and trust, not just not just believe, but to truly know from the very bottom of our heart that you have this that you love us and that you have this and that we are able to walk with confidence that you have aligned all of the outcomes already and that all we have to do is meet it with perseverance and grace, continuously self-examining ourselves and doing the very best we can through confessing of our sins throughout the day, uh, practicing righteousness, 1 John 3, 7, loving you, falling in love with you more than ever before, Jesus, drawing in closer, the wind beneath our wings, having communion whenever we can, ever as much as we possibly can, and to just know that we know that we know that you have this and that all we have to do is trust. What a powerful, powerful revelation and reconciliation it is with all of the, the things that are happening across this world and are happening in our own personal lives to come to the realization that it's all about you loving us. We praise you, Father. And now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, our Lord Jesus, according to the power that works in us, be all power, glory, and honor forever and ever, we pray. Amen.
Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So real quick, I just wanted to go ahead and toss this over the wall. During the prayer visual testimony regarding the hurricane, Hurricane Ian testimony, um, to anyone who would attempt to listen to that, uh, it was long. I know it was long and there was a lot of moving parts. And so, uh, you know, and, and I get it. Um, we only have so much time, and I, I expect that there would be an awful lot of people that would, you know, start to listen to it and go, oh, heck, I already know all this kind of stuff. I don't need to hear this whole thing, you know, that kind of stuff, and click it off early, praise God. For the, and then there would be those who did listen to the whole thing, but there would be so, mo- so many moving parts that they would hear the miracle associated with my uh, with God preventing me from going directly into the cat, Category 3 power of Ian and potentially dying, um, uh, especially because for a myriad of reasons, uh, of which I won't go into. It was all in the testimony. But, I th- but the, the funny thing about it is the last, really the last 15 minutes was where it all was pulled together. And I'm going to share with you um, kind of like that last 15 minutes um, in the form of reading what we're all going through right now. Well, not all of us. And the reason, and you might say, well, why not? You know, why am I going through a period of respite? Why am I going through a period of, you know, relative peace compared to some of the trials and tribulations of others? And it's because it's because all of our works that we were supposed to walk in were written in our books before we were. I would argue it's much even. It's even bigger than that. It's, it, it has a lot to do with um, you know the time before Earth and and all that. And uh, and praise God for that. It's a wonderful. I think it's a wonderful epiphany and a great uh, answer to uh, many many. I mean, just a myriad of Bible mysteries to understand these things. But here I'm just going to read this prophecy from uh, Wings of Prophecy. Test and training, it's called. It came out on the 29th, which is uh, literally the day after the hurricane. Now, um, uh, I needed the timing that this arrived in my inbox was very highly supernatural. Well, and also so was the uh, warning that there aren't going to be any turkeys at Thanksgiving. But that you're going to have to listen to the whole testimony to be able to piece it all together because it's probably got about, I don't know, an untold number of many miracles, many of which I probably haven't been able to uh, piece all together. But considering the hell on earth that I went through during the hurricane and the evacuation, and then not the evacuation, then the, eva- you know, just it was, it was unbelievable. Uh, but anyway, I praise God I came through it okay. I'm not, you know, uh, let's just put it this way. If I if I let myself think too much about all, uh, I and, and I, um, I don't mean that to be, you know, hey, feel sorry for Johnny kind of a thing. But I think the most important thing, if you do decide to take the time, because it's a lot of time, it's about three hours, you're going to sit, you're, you probably have the, the thoughts like this enter your mind. Why is he talking about this? Why is this relevant? Well, that's unfortunately in order to weave together six months of learning and many miracles all into the culmination of one of the most horrible hurricanes. And they're even calling it Ivan, Ian the Horrible now um, because these are, these are not regular hurricanes. And so I really had to paint that picture out to give the magnitude of the miracle. Otherwise, it's just like, oh, oh, he prayed over the hurricane, and the hurricane went ashore. Big deal. No, it's, it's much, much bigger than that. And so um, I'm going to read for you what I read at the end of the prayer vigil. This was a prophecy that the Lord, now sometimes the prophecies are, you know, you have to understand we're all in different places in our walks. We're all, you know, uh, you may live in a place where God knows he's going to be bringing you home. 
I mean, I don't want to be freaking anybody out if, if you're if you're not walking in the spirit and you're not excited about going home early. Uh, you know, I'm not. That's not what I'm about. Okay, I'm, I I do would highly encourage you to draw in so close in your love of our Father and Jesus, which we're admonished to do anyway that you are excited about going home. And the scripture does say precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So we have to understand that, yeah, yeah, there's grief that goes on here on the earthly level, but really our hearts, minds, souls should be all about being deeply in love with our Father and deeply, deeply in love with our Lord Jesus Christ, that he truly is our hero and he is the wind beneath our wings. And we should sing that, you know, if you don't want to sing that song to him, sing another song to him, but you ought to be singing songs to Jesus. And I mean to him, on your knees. All right, praise God. Thank you, Father, because we need to draw in close to him like never before. Because it appears that, and, and you know what, who, how, who out there, all right, listening to this program or, or who has even occasionally listened, has any idea what we may have to go through, even if we get evacuated out of here after the global financial collapse? We know that we have to have Second Thessalonians 2 happen. It's not, it has nothing to do with any temple in Israel. That's a bunch of baloney. And, um, and, and churchianity, by and large, especially American evangelical churchianity, has been sucker punched on that one. And um, and it's unfortunate, but we need to pray for our brothers and sisters and truly, truly mean it from the very bottom of our heart. No matter what has ever happened, it doesn't matter. Whoever, whoever, if there has been any hard feelings or any hurt feelings throughout any part of your walk or even when you were younger, if you were raped or anything like that, we put those people at the top of your prayer list. Okay, it was Will, it was Reverend William Law who once said, uh, "Nothing will make a man fall in love with another person as much as put it, as praying for them every day." And it's true. And once I started looking and in, you know examining, self-examining my walk, and all the people that have you know made me feel really really horrible, um, uh, I did that. I put them at the very top of my prayer list, and it changed everything. And I really, it, it, very quickly, you will become converted. Your heart will change, your mind will change, your soul will change, your spirit will change, and you will fall in love with them, and you will really be beseeching God with tears in your eyes for them to not, you know, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it, and it will really come from the very bottom of your heart. And those are the most powerful words that anybody can say to change their life, their dynamics, the things that happen to them, to take away all the power of the group of people that are threatening the lives of your children. We just don't understand the power that we have in the very words that Jesus used to teach us how to control the demons. See, when you when you take away the demon's legal right to be able to control those who want to kill you by asking God to forgive them, you don't even have to move your mouth. You can pray it in the spirit like Henry Groover did. I got to find the Henry Groover show and get that back up here as a best of. Uh, maybe I can find it in time for the trip. I've got. Uh, it's not this. Uh, working on a job, uh, and uh, I won't be. I'll have to do a best of show. So maybe I can find the Henry Groover show. We went to bring Henry on the program because we wanted him to tell us about the nukes, you know, uh, the Russian nukes, and and you know that was the biggest vision that the Lord gave him on the Prophecy Club and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? The Holy Spirit led him to speak about many other things, and the blessing was absolutely beyond words. Praise God. But anyway, circling back 
Test and training, prophecy from Wings of Prophecy. This is a time of test and intense training for my chosen ones. Now, I, I would I would admonish you out of love to please consider what this is actually saying. First off, this is a time. Okay, so that means right now. All right, so it's really important we get these little things. They, they seem little, but really it's kind of like um, biblical exegesis when you're analyzing an, an on-target prophecy. And, I, and I, over the years, I've learned to discern, you know, for whatever reason, I'll just leave it at that. But I can read a prophecy, and I know if it's on target or if it's just a repeat or if it's being influenced because somebody left something on their YouTube channel or whatever, blah, 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 blah. But, but I know when God is speaking directly to me, and I, and I think a lot of us can sense that. Um, but here's the thing that's the most important part of the testimony that I gave about the hurricane on the prayer vigil. And like I said, it was a long one with a lot of moving parts. But if you don't make it to the very end, you won't understand it. Not all of it. You'll get bits and pieces, but I tie a ribbon on the whole story in the last 15 minutes. Um, and I'll give you the punchline for those of you who have no chance at all of being able to listen to that to that long of a testimony. I will. I, I don't want to like want it to be a spoiler, but I think the most important thing to walk away with is that. See, a lot of times we listen to a testimony of somebody. I'm guilty as charged. You know, I, 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 I don't talk about things that don't either that I haven't experienced or that I haven't experienced through someone else or whatever the case is, right? So I, 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 God makes me go through things, a lot of really super unpleasant things, so that I can convey what I have learned to the believers. And the thing that we have to – and it's so hard – the thing that we have to remember is that, and I'm, I'm guilty, we bring people on this radio show and they give a testimony of how they've met Jesus. And I'm like, well, dang, man, what did you do that, I mean, you obviously did something really cool to deserve to be able to have met Jesus. You know, I, we, you know, the fleshy part of us separates ourselves from the body of Christ. And that's a boo-boo. Shame on us. We have to recognize that we are all part of the body of Christ and that every testimony, every prophecy, everything is ours. It's ours. So if, if, if I were to listen to the testimony that I did on the prayer vigil last night, at some point I would just – probably the devil would inject a fiery dart at some point and make me say, well, this is his testimony. It's obviously not relevant to me. And I'm here to tell you it's relevant to us all. And that's why I took the time to weave the tapestry of six months of mini miracles and things all together to tell the big story so that folks would be able to see not my testimony, but to understand why, not how, not what. We all know what the what is, right? I'm going through this. I'm going through a divorce. My husband's doing this to me. I've got to sick this. I've got to sick that. You know, whatever misery that we're going through or whatever trial or tribulation, okay? And some of them are really bad. And some of them are like triple. Bam, bam, one thing right after the other. And I get that. I, I'm living it, all right? But the the moral of the story is that everyone's testimony is everyone's testimony, Otherwise, the Bible lies about us being part of the body of Christ. Get it? 
I hope you do. And so, and I'm not just promoting the testimony that I gave on Friday night, but it has, for those of you, if if you are, I mean, if you're not going through a hard time, praise God, that gives you more time to pray, more time to draw in closer to the Lord, more time to all the things that are necessary right now. Okay, so necessary. I mean, I know there are people that are just waking up right now. I get that. But they're, you know, I don't want to say they're a day late and a dollar short, but I do want to say we are really drawing in super close to when things are going to get, like, awful bad fast, right? And I did make a comment on the testimony last night where I'd said this indicates that we might be here for a while. But you have to understand that that is encased in the fact that we are at the very, very end. So what does it mean, a while? You see what I'm saying? What does soon mean? Okay, so my, my it was a feeble attempt on my part to try to help people to understand that, you know, based upon what it says at the end of the third seal, do not harm the oil or the wine, which is the bride of Jesus Christ. And I would expect that that would also be, it would be all inclusive. Why would it not? Why would it not have to do with the barley and the wheat and ultimately, of course, the grape, which I feel sorry for the grape harvest because they're going to be in, they're, they're the tribulation saints. Now, anyway, um, uh, but anyway, I just wanted to let you know that if you do decide to set aside some time and listen to the whole testimony and, and how it all, how the tapestry of many miracles weaves together into an amazing ending in the midst of what was absolutely horrifically traumatic to go through, and you see how God kind of like tied a ribbon on it, but it wasn't for me. It wasn't my ribbon. And I may, maybe I didn't do a good job explaining that. And I just wanted to share that with you now. It's not my ribbon. It's our ribbon. That's why when a ministry tries to um, copyright their ministry material, they're actually sticking a nice pick in God's eyes. You know, you're either part of the body of Christ or you're not. And if you are part of the body of Christ, then it's all ours. It's ours. It's our testimony. Okay, God takes people to heaven and NDEs because he wants us to understand what it is we are going through and why we're going through it. Okay? And here's the why. Test and training from September the 29th of 2022, Wings of Prophecy, praise God. This is a time of tests and intense training for my chosen ones. Keywords. This is a time. Well, actually, time, tests, intense training, and chosen ones, all four of those are critical in that very first sentence, which I believe is an anointed sentence directly from the lips of God or Jesus, which are one and the same. My children, do not grow weary. Now, that's a tough one, but we're going to have to keep on persevering. I am preparing you for what comes. Ooh, look out for that one. That sounds a little bit like getting grabbed from, you know, tossed into the boxing ring, you know, and then just about the time you think you're getting pretty good at boxing and you're standing, Ephesians 6.10, you get grabbed by the scruff of the neck and thrown into the bigger boxing ring with a bigger, meaner guy until you're dealing with Rocky Balboa. And then even then, are you at the end? Is your testing in trials and tribulation, where, is there an end? I would submit there isn't. I would submit that God will continue to condition us to be ready for the worst possible case scenario because none of us has any idea what it means to be here past a global financial collapse, do we? No, we don't. All right. You know, when, when there's a global financial collapse, people freak. 
Now, if you've never been through a hurricane, then you don't really understand that you're going to see fistfights breaking out in front of uh, stacks of boards at Home Depot. You're going to see people grabbing each other and throwing each other up against the wall over a piece of wood. Okay? You're going to see people punching each other out because it's the last XYZ on the shelf of Walmart. Got it? And if you can see that inside a hurricane area, even when the hurricane is 100 miles away, let me tell you something, folks. Yeah, we all need test and training right now. We do. Because God's got to bring us to a place where we can be in the midst of that unbelievable chaos, fear, and oh my gosh, anxiety attacks, and horrible feelings that will just overwhelm you and it will paralyze you. God doesn't want a bunch of paralyzed saints. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had like dozens of testimonies of how the Holy Spirit is going to fill us and we're going to be able to do wonderful things and it's not going to be, but wait a minute. Excuse me. Hasn't happened yet. We don't know when that's going to happen and we don't even know if the first watch is going to be here. The first watch very well may be not part of that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm I'm estimating now, and I'm going to read you something from uh, in ex, uh, in a second to lay out the foundation of this hypothesis. It's purely I, you can call it a sanctified hypothesis or not, but it may very well be that the first watch, the barley harvest, the first fruits of Jesus Christ, are those who maintain their grace and their trust in God, even without that special outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we've heard about through so many prophecies and such. I'm not, I, I will never say that a prophecy is necessarily wrong unless I have you know, biblical... If I know a scripture and I know they're off kilter and blah, blah, then I know that I know that I know because the Bible is the final word. But anyway, this is a beautiful thing. It says, for my chosen ones. Now, if you're not going through some hard times right now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to. Okay, but then on the other hand, God knows the beginning from the end, and you may be sitting in a house that he knows is going to be blown away by the Cascadia subduction zone event. If he knows he's going to bring you home before you've got other stuff, you know, you know, you know, and he's not going to bring you home if he's got a list of things that he's planning on you doing, right? Now, if he, but if you're stepping away from God and you're like biting your nails and, oh, no, I don't want to go through that, well, you know, that, then, then, you know, you're not going to walk in the works that God designed for you to walk in before there was time. Praise God. And that's just how it is. And, I, hey, I'm not saying that's a ticket to, you know, H-E double toothpick by any stretch. Right, kids? It's, that's not what it is, right? right? See, I knew you Jesus kids knew that. See, a lot of times Christians, when they read prophecy, dreams, and visions and things, you know, even, do you know how many of the churches out there actually teach that the foolish virgins are going to hell? That the tares are just bad people that are going to hell? <laughs> that makes me crack up. That means they have no idea about shape-shifting reptilians, watchers. They don't get it. They don't get it. But anyway, you know, anyway, so let me go back to this prophecy. My children, do not grow weary. I am preparing you for what comes. You are being strengthened for more difficult times that you may withstand what comes next. Many now remember it said my chosen ones. Many are called, fewer chosen. How many times have I said that on this program? 
How many times have I given the analogy about being thrown from one boxing ring to another? It was the only thing that I could come up with when I thought it through because I knew I wasn't being chastened, but I kept on bad things kept on happening to me. And then, you know, and I knew that the only thing left was the Lord God tests the righteous, you know, the, 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 you know, uh, the refiner's fire, right? Okay. Well, turns out that that's what this is all about for all of us, any of us. And and guess what? If it hasn't happened to you yet, it might. You know what I mean? And plus, it, it also has, I believe in my heart, that it also has to do with, you know, what God's going to need you to do, too. You know, there some of us may be living in a place that's so far out in the middle of the country that we're not really going to have an awful lot of confrontation that we need to be prepared for spiritually to deal with. But in the place that I live in, the suburbial part of Tampa, Florida, I can tell you as a fact, I'm going to deal with some ugly. I know it. And it doesn't help matters that I'm flying a big giant Jesus sign out front of my house, and I got a big magnetic sign that you can see from the street that has Jesus' name on it, and a gigantic, uh, you know, uh, gosh, how big is it? Probably about four-plus feet across uh, Jesus sign on the back of my, uh, you know, white letters on the back of my black SUV. So, um, you know, and I'm not taking it off, period. And, um, you know, and that's fine. You know, if that means that I go home early or I, you know, I, cause I believe with all of my heart that God, I, I can't, I'm not, I can't, can you imagine what a slap in the face it would be for me to take those things down now? It, it, it'd almost be like Peter denying Jesus kind of thing. Right. So anyway, I, I'm, I'm prepared for whatever God has for me. I mean, if, if it's black helicopters then it's black helicopters, praise Jesus. I'm now, I'm not going to be really dumb and go out there and just like uh, say, hey, you know, come and arrest me, FBI, because, you know, January 6th was a trumped up bag of dog dookie. But anyway, um, <laughs> pun, hey, pun, pun not intended, by the way. Anyway, so test and training, you are being strengthened for more difficult times. Wow that you may withstand what comes next. Hey, that sounds like Ephesians 6.10, having done all to stand. Many of my children have lived soft lives. Hey, is this God noticing that I gained like 30 pounds over the pandemic? I was so happy when I tried on my dress pants that they actually still fit, the ones that you know were one size higher. I didn't want to go two sizes up. I would have cried. Anyway, praise God. Um, it says lives without real challenge, lives without hardship. It's true. Really, for me, it is. I mean, I, I've gone through some hardships. I mean, don't get me wrong. I take my beatings. But at the end of the day, yeah. You know, none of us are in a jail cell in, in Iran having body parts cut off slowly with dull knives, are we? All right, hallelujah. Or hiding in a, a dripping wet cave with uh, North Korean soldiers uh, on patrol looking for those evil Christians that are out there somewhere in the dark. So um, praise God, you know, um, it, it's true. What it say, and it says, then it goes on to say, I am strengthening you that you may be effective in this time. Now, what would that, why would that be there? Because it, it goes back to that analogy I've used uh, an untold number of times where you've got an open field and then you've got woods on the one side and woods on the other. And on the other side are Nazi soldiers. There's a Nazi imprisonment and they're shooting and that are around you are uh, hiding down in the foxholes. All right. 
and they're saying, oh, please, Lord, please, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray for protection around me, and I pray Psalm 91 upon me. and all. But what Jesus is looking for for his bride is the one that takes the spiritual bayonet, because our... You know, um, uh, you know, because our weapons are uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal; they're not earthly, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, holding every thought into captivity. You know, uh, to Jesus Christ, praise God. Second uh, Corinthians ten five, First Corinthians ten, the Second Corinthians ten five and eight. Anyway, so anyway, um, so this is important for those of you, and it goes on to say. For those of you who have survived more difficult lives, I am making you even stronger. Now is the time to prepare you for what you will face in the future. Hmm. Now, that's, that was the reasoning behind me suggesting that we're going to be here for a little bit longer. Um, I know, I just know from experience, folks. I mean, come on. 12 years of doing this stuff, we're approaching 12 years, I mean, really, making all the mistakes that I've made, eating so much crow that it's like, you know, feathers are coming out of my ears, <laughs> I mean, really, believe me, I've been there, done that, three ways to Sunday, upside down, sideways, you name it, I've been there, I've been on the rapture every week rapture train for years, I, you know, sooner or later, I had to like wake up and say, wait, okay, this is absolutely ridiculous. I've got to snap out of this and go back to the Bible. And I did, and the Lord showed me stuff, and I praise his name for that. Now, because I'm a why person, I want to know why. Don't you? Because when you know why, it makes going through it so much more easy, if there is such a word, <laughs> when you're going through it, right? All right, um, but it does. It really does. And, and And you can come to a place where you're kind of like, I don't know, kind of like okay with it almost. Because you, when, when you really get to the place where you truly trust God and it isn't just lip service, it's a, it's a pretty amazing place to be. Like I know I have to fly out to Phoenix. I know that I'm going to be, that there will be people there who in one sentence can eliminate my employment. And they're going to be watching me like a hawk. And I have to like talk to like 35 people in this huge mega company inside of a seminar room, and it's not my specialty. I don't do public speaking well at all. But I'm not worried about it. It's in the hands of God. If God wanted me dead, he would have sent me right into the path of a hurricane with a quarter of a tank of gas. So anyway, um, so I, I'm not worried about it. And, and that's, that's I, you know, I, I, yes, I admit, I don't know what it is about going to sleep, but something about when you go to sleep, it's like, I don't know, it's like weird. It's like I'll toss and turn. I don't know if you have this problem too or not. Maybe it's just me, but I'll toss and turn because my subconscious is chewing away at me about things that I stress about, you know, in my job and such, or hurricanes, and uh, or both. Um, and um, but then I wake up and I start praising Jesus, and it's like it kind of melts away. Sometimes I just want to get out of bed so that I can be in the presence of the Lord. Was like a wonderful place to be by comparison to the torment of you know flipping my pillow like seventy times behind my head, thinking I'm going to get maybe one more hour of sleep because you know four isn't enough. Anyway, praise God. Now is the time to prepare you for what you will face in the future. Praise God. And I think that's an epiphany. And I I prayed. I, I admit it. I I prayed fervently before the Lord. I mean, crying. I was bawling like a baby. I was like, please, 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 Father. We have been 
starving for prophecy. We need to hear prophetic words that are accurate, that are relevant to what we're going through. And I've seen a shift, and I praise his holy name for that. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So anyway, on that note, let's go ahead and kids, you ready for a couple of jokes? <laughs> well, it's not like we have all the time in the world, but I'm going to go ahead and take care of you guys. You guys take care of me. All right, here we go. Why does nobody talk to circles? Why doesn't anybody talk to a circle? Think hard. Ah, I see Spanky's even stumped. Because there's no point. <laughs> That's for you math wizard kids out there, huh? Praise God. Hey, come on. There's no point on a circle. All right. Hallelujah. All right. Praise God. Kids, what's a computer's favorite snack? What's a computer's favorite snack? Computer chips. You know, computer tortilla chips or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Computer chips. Come on, work with me. Come on. Oh, come on, you guys. You're really just not. Spanky, put the tablet down. I think you're messing them up. You know, synchronicity here. We need synchronicity. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Kids, one more. What's worse than finding a worm in your apple? Finding half a worm. <laughs> that one's pretty good. What do you think, kids? Huh? <laughs> I don't even want to think about that. All right, and they're trying to talk us into eating bugs, and I think, you know, and I know John the Bat, the real John the Bat, this, that, you know, did honey and locusts and all that. I'm like, forget that noise. Uh, I need to lose some weight anyway. So praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So I wanted to share that all with you. And I also want to share this with you. I think this is really cool. I thought to myself, Wheat and barley harvest, wheat and barley harvest, wheat and barley harvest, you know, and then you've got the counting of the Omer, you've got the Sukkot wedding, um, all that stuff, it, you know, the wedding at, at Pentecost, and then you've got the wheat harvest in the latter part, you know, closer to Rosh Hashanah, which is around this time. Anyway, I just thought maybe I should look at what the difference is between wheat and barley from an earthly standpoint, right? I just got a curiosity on me, and I, and I did. This is amazing, actually. All right, so check it out. Wheat, and I'll say we want to be barley because that's first fruits, okay? So when you got the counting of the Omer uh, during, you know, uh, Feast of Tabernacles and all that kind of Sukkot and all that, um, you that's around Pentecost. And the counting of the Omer, an Omer is actually a bundle of barley, so when you have a counting down of the Omer, those are bundles of barley bringing, being brought in as first roots. Pretty cool stuff, huh? All right. Um, now, so then I wanted to look at you know wheat versus barley. Listen to this. This is from Healthline.com. Processing and uses. Wheat. Before wheat can be used, it needs to be milled. Milling refers to the process of cracking the grain into separate uh, to separate the bran and germ from the endosperm and crushing crushing the endosperm into a fine flour. Okay, do you get that? Wheat. The wheat harvest happens during the sixth seal, during the day of the Lord, and millions of Christians will have died from the gigantic 1,000-foot tidal wave that comes from the meteor, the Ephraim Rodriguez meteor, that causes the great earthquake in Revelation 6.12. 
also when Russia nukes the United States eventually. I don't know how long that's going to stretch out. I don't want to be here. And millions of good Christians are going to die. But that's okay, because precious in the Lord, precious to the Lord is the death of his saints. All right? So we've got to look at everything through heavenly eyes. Praise God. All right, so what's the difference between the wheat, then, that needs to be crushed and the barley? Well, here at Healthline, it says barley doesn't need to be milled before use, but it's usually hauled to remove the outer layer, okay? So, listen, it even goes, for food use, barley is often Pearled, P-E-A-R-L-E-D. Remember the parable of the pearl of, you know, a great price? Huh? Pretty cool, huh? Now, why would it be that the barley doesn't need to be milled? Because the barley is getting milled now. Get it? Reflect back to the of test and training for my chosen ones. Many are called, few are chosen. Many are called, few are chosen. You see, barley doesn't need to be milled before it is used, but the use part is the key part. Before it is used, where are we going to be used? So we're going to be used here on the earth to bring people along to the wedding supper as guests, but we're also being used now, right? Because we're praying, we're using spiritual warfare tactics, we're calling down angels into people's dreams and visions, we're uh, hopefully touching people's lives in whatever, you know, whenever God puts somebody before us, even if it's just tossing a hint over the wall or wearing a Jesus hat uh, to the public supermarket. It doesn't need to be milled before use. Here's the beautiful thing about it. Think about the, 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 the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. See, the wheat has to go through additional milling. So you've got to send the wheat away to go get more oil. But the barley is already ready. Got it? You see where I'm heading with this? Pretty cool stuff. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And on that note, let's go into the news. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? It's not normal. It's just wrong. Uh, wrong. It's not normal. This is disturbing. Game over. I praise God. I'm going to have to move pretty fast through this because uh, I don't want to hold Brother Gary up, and he's always very patient if I run like five minutes over, but I'm going to hit it hard and fast. Praise God. And most of it I think you're already aware of, but anyway, some of it you won't be. All right, let's go. Here we go. All right, Russia to officially annex Ukrainian territories into the Federation Friday. Now, a lot of lot of folks are saying, ah, I don't mean nothing, blah, blah, blah. Let me just leave you with this thought. And this is after hours and hours of research into these things by people who know what's going on and get it and aren't listening to the false, lying Western narrative from the bowels of hell. All right, the reality here is that Russia doesn't need anybody's permission to annex anything. 
Okay, when their Duma and their their government agencies, et cetera, get together and they vote and, you know, they, they let the people do their democratic thing like they did. They take the results and then they go to their essentially their equivalent of their Congress. And everybody says, yes, they are now officially Russia. Okay, it doesn't matter what the United Nations says. It doesn't matter what the shape-shifting reptilian that refers to itself as Biden while it changes its diaper says. It really doesn't matter what Obama the Antichrist says. It's irrelevant. And besides, the Antichrist wants these things to happen. All these things are being done on purpose. The destruction of Europe, the destruction of the petrodollar, the destruction of everything that is occurring. It's, it, it, everybody's playing along like it's, hey, we're just doing our duty. No, 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 no. This is the Antichrist in full action. Now, has Satan incarnated into the Antichrist yet? No. You know, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, let the reader beware. That's when Satan enters into the body of Obama. By the way, that's a box we got to check because that means we are eligible to leave even as the first fruits. So keep your eyes on all that and keep your eyes on the collapse of the petrodollar. Praise God. But what this actually means, okay, and this is hours and hours of study under people who, you know, are over there and know what's going on, is that now anytime that Ukraine launches a mortar, into Donbass, that is the same thing as launching a mortar into Moscow. There is currently the largest buildup. Now, you're not going to hear this in, in the Western media. I'm here to tell you because I have I have the stuff. I have the evidence. I'm looking right at it. Let me see if I can find the... Okay, what you're hearing is a humongous train of military equipment moving into position from Russia into the Donbass in preparation. All right, praise God. So I wanted you to you know, kind of get an idea of that. And, of course, this is on Intel Slava Z on um, Telegram. And also Scott Ritter has a channel on Telegram. And if you want to keep up, he's, he puts almost everything on Telegram right now because there are threats on his life, which – course doesn't surprise me with as evil as these entities are anyway um uh so there's that uh you've got troops on the move uh they have they make it like um this is just thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of troops moving into position now, they make it seem like in the news, which, of course, is just a bunch of lying reptilians, um, that, you know, Russia is backing off or whatever. It, that, that is such a lie from the devil. It's unbelievable. No, they're they're, they're the, the people. They're overwhelmed. They, they'll make it sound like, oh, people are running away. They don't want to, you know, get conscripted into the military. No, that's a bunch of bunk. They know that it's a, it's an attack on their motherland, on, on Russia, Mother Russia itself. And they're they're not having any problems whatsoever. They're, you know, it's it's going to be way way more than three hundred thousand men. All right. So um, what's going to happen essentially is Russia's going to mow over the Ukraine like it's jello, <laughs> and they are not really concerned whatsoever about NATO. And by the way, NATO is backing off right now. 
because they know. They know. They're as a matter of fact, there's probably a whole lot of them are like, man, we need to get out of here right now. So I, I have a sneaking suspicion what we're going to see over the next month or so is going to be rather alarming because, you know what, they've been pushed to the brink and they're not going to take anymore. Anyway, praise God, thank you. At least somebody is going to do something about something, and it won't be just the Glenn Beck thing. You Nothing know. happens. Nobody goes to jail. Nobody pays for a thing anymore. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Mr. Beck, for stepping up. All right, praise God. Next one up is uh, 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 Putin vows to use any means to defend the annexed, uh, the annexed Ukraine regions in new nuke threat. After biggest land grab, now, Russia has no intention of using tactical nukes in the Ukraine. They don't need to. But, you know, if the NATO doesn't back off, they could easily send uh, cruise missiles across Europe and take out NATO headquarters and really send a powerful message. And they, they are very open about it. And they're like, you know, if you push us too far and you get in our way, you get what you get. All right, so um, they're not holding back on that. As a matter of fact, on uh, this is what it said. One of the posts on Intel Slava Z on Telegram said, Putin's words are much more important. It is a fundamental declaration of war against the modern West and the modern world in general. This is the manifesto of tradition of Russia. I cannot imagine the depth of the consequences of this. Just as the Old Testament David threw a slingshot at the giant Goliath, so it is today. It is eschatological and religious discourse. Alexander Dugan out of Russia. Imagine that. Kind of puts a whole new ribbon on the uh, second seal, doesn't it? Because God gave the sword to the red horse. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. Putin isn't bluffing about nuclear weapons, according to this particular Joseph Burrell, who spoke on BBC. Uh, and uh, and there's a lot of people coming forward, and, and, and that's a fact. They're not joking. They mean it. And NATO knows it. <laughs> so you can believe NATO is going to be like, oh no 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 no, we weren't no we didn't mean to holy mo you know it, it. But they want they want the World War Three. See you gotta it's it's tricky it's paradoxical. All right, praise God. Next one up, nuclear alert. Putin prepares for war with the United States, and he says he's not bluffing. And so do all the Russian experts that understand exactly what's going on in Russian war doctrine. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. But they don't need them for Ukraine. Ukraine, they're just going to turn on the monster lawnmower and just go. And just kind of, you know, because they've had plenty of time. The people that are going to leave are, are already out of there pretty much. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And and the rest of them are sitting ducks for kill. All right. Next one up. Hallelujah. United States. This is from American Military News. United States spy plane seems to be searching for Russian nukes in the European enclave. So they're really pumping up the nuke, 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 nuke. And you know what? Maybe they ought to. Maybe it's about time. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. But I don't think we're going to see it. Not right away. All right. It's definitely queued up. 
All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Just ask Henry Hoover. Groover. Ah, doggone it. He's up in heaven right now listening through the cloud of witnesses. Hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Henry. All right, next one up. Poland to hand out radiation tablets in schools, according to the media. So there you have them really sending the message that the evil Russian empire is going to nuke you any second. Of course, that creates fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and, uh, you know, just escalates the situation. Praise God. Listen to this headline. United States military aircraft circled the Nord Stream incident sites in September. The United States military habitually and on numerous occasions circled for hours over the site of the Nord Stream Pipeline's incidents near Bornholm Island earlier in September, flight radar 24 data shows. Everybody knows that it was the United States Special Operations Black Ops that went in and blew up the Nord Stream Pipeline in several places. In fact, it even came out and said after an analysis that high explosive devices, I'm reading a headline... High explosive devices equivalent to 500 kilograms of TNT were used to destroy the Nord Stream. And never mind that Joe Biden himself came out and said in his convalescent dribbling words that they he promised that they would stop the Nord Stream flow of gas. Okay, so... Basically, what he did was he said, I promise you, Europeans, that many of you will die by freezing to death, hunger, and everything else under the sun because we're just that seeding evil. And oh, by the way, don't forget to go take your COVID-19 jab, your 50th one, by the way, because otherwise you won't be safe, you see. All right, next one. Nord Stream sabotage will permanently shift global trade, according to an analysis. Permanently. Huh. That's pretty significant. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. Pentagon to create Ukraine Command. According to the media, they're going to call it UCOM, Ukraine Command. The Pentagon is working to create a new military command devoted to aiming training at Ukrainian soldiers. Yes, keep on dribbling your evil lies out of your mouth. Next one up. Thousands of German stores on the brink of closure, according to Spiegel. And you know what? It's true. We know over 15,000 German stores facing bankruptcy due to soaring energy costs, going out of business, Nord Stream 2 blown up. Who could have done that? Oh, it must have been the Russians. I mean, after all, they would want to blow up their own pipeline so they could never make money with it again. (laughs) Somebody, please, where's Hannibal Lecter? I need someone to remove the tiny little uh, shrimp fork, please. Shrimp fork, please. Next one up. The Brits are burning energy bills in protest, soaring prices, and they're out in the streets with their with with, with you know with their electric bills, and they're like, going, I can't afford this. Forget about that." And in protest, they have a big old fire, and they're destroying their energy bills one after the other in there. See, now here in Tampa, Florida, if you did that, it would just everything would go dark. Tico, a uh, Tampa Electric Company, doesn't give you a second chance. If you're literally one, I mean, it's like a clock. It's like five, four, three. Two, and you're like, I got the money, I got the money. Oh, doggone it. Now I can't even call them and give them my credit card number or whatever. You know, that's how Tampa doesn't mess around, man. And then you got to pay like three months in advance to get it turned back on. It's like crazy. All right, next one up. Study finds that electric cars being charged at night make America's power grids unstable. Hmm. They did it on purpose. 
Of course, we got this new um, uh, proclamation that came out of the White House that says technical possibilities for United States Central Bank digital currency. So we see these various, um, I don't know what you want to call it. It doesn't really look like an executive order, but it came from the briefing room of the United States of America, blah, 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 posted on the website. Um, you know, so they're talking about a one world, uh, no paper money kind of a system, praise God. And what would we be? Of course, we wouldn't expect anything different. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. All right. Hallelujah. Swiss hospitals advised to cut their power usage. I can see it right now. People in the, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, uh, um, you know, in the emergency room, people in, uh, you know, intensive care. And it's like, Next one up. Pennsylvania County sues Dominion voting systems over severe anomalies in the 2020 election. Wait, that can't happen in Pennsylvania. That state's so blue. It reminds me of, well, (laughs) that state's so blue. It reminds me of, uh, you know, the one who has gone on to the pit of fire. (sighs) But not according to some people out there. Uh, quickly acknowledge that Satan has a mock-up of fake heaven. Watch out for that. Next one up. Supreme Court poised to keep marching right to the right. Okay, poised to keep marching to the right in the new term. So according to the analysis, they believe that right now, even with the current makeup of the Supreme Court, they still think that they will continue to levy judgments that are you know, leaning to the right. What does that mean? We'll have to wait and see. Do they destroy it? Possibly. All right, next one up. Well, the Daily reports, next on Europe's doomsday list, the collapse of cell phone networks, according to these folks. And it goes on to explain that heating, power, and everything else under the sun may be one of many problems that are coming. And they start quoting different locations and Things over in Europe, and it looks like Europe's got a pile of ugly that's about to dump down on them the size of Mount Everest. Not, not, but, but, but again, these are, these are harbingers. Watch what happens in Europe because it's coming this way. It's like a tidal wave. We just haven't gotten the water hitting us quite as hard yet. All right, next one up. The United States is furthering its own decline by scaring off Chinese scientists, which don't even get me going on rare earth minerals and all that kind of stuff because, boy, let me tell you. But it's a perfect setup. It's a perfect storm. I watched that t- uh, that movie the other day, The Perfect Storm. It's a perfect storm, folks. I mean, come on, really. This is it, 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 look. If Jack Van Impey was alive today, <laughs> you know, he would be like a guest on the show. <laughs> okay. Anyway, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. Bill Gates warns of a scary winter in Europe. Dun dun dun. Can't be. Not Bill Gates. Next one up. Lebanon receives written United States brokered proposal for maritime border deal with Israel. And what this is all about is that Lebanon is getting pretty darn angry because Israel's setting up uh, oil drilling rigs. That's technically a little bit into the maritime water whatever area off the shore of Lebanon. So they're trying to cut a deal, big deal. And, you know, did their deals ever work and does anybody ever stand behind them? That would be a big fat no. Next one up. New German COVID-19 rolls go in 
to four, says infections rise during the colder months. Oh, no, here come the dreaded mask. They better not make me wear one to Phoenix. I will throw a fit. No, I won't, because I'll be afraid they'll throw me in jail. Probably call me some kind of a January 6th MAGA person or something. He's going to jail for 5,000 years. Next one up. Not wise to let the Ukraine join NATO, says Henry Shapeshifting Reptilian Kissinger, who will never die. Anyway, whatever. Next one up. Turkey joins condemnation of Russia bid to claim Ukrainian territories. Now. Now the Vilna Gaon's prophecy from way back in the 1700s where they say where the Vilna Gaon had uh, had a vision and said that when uh, when you see uh, Russia take control of Crimea, check the box, uh, get ready. And then when you see Russia rolling into Constantinople, which is Istanbul right now. Now, for them, that would be donning your, you know, that that's them pre- preparing for the rise of the Antichrist because their mystical Jews are definitely not, you know, in love with Jesus, if you get my drift. But the point is, if you can connect the dots, guess what? <laughs> that's, a, that's also a victory for us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. Turkey cannot accept uh, the decision by Donbass republics. Two more regions to join Russia. The next one up. Russia halts gas delivery to Italy. That's because Italy came out and said, phooey on you. No, actually, in in reality, Italy is backpedaling against the West right now. And things are about to get pretty darn ugly over there because, you know, people know. There's all kinds of protests in Germany right now. It's just absolutely insane. And don't get me going on the UK. All right, next one up. Guardsman, 18, who walked beside the Queen's coffin at the funerals. How much you want to believe that the person lifted the crate to see if it was a shape-shifting reptilian and saw that it was and freaked? Huh? And they killed him. All right. Curiosity killed the cat, if you know what I'm talking about. Next one up. Thousands of birds dropped from the sky. No surprise there. Thousands rally in Cardiff, calling for Welsh independence from the United Kingdom. What do you suppose? <laughs> we already know the answer. Thousands of Iraqis in Baghdad are protesting against corruption. No, you say. Of course I say. Next one up. Scientists use mosquitoes to deliver experimental malaria vaccine. No, they are not. Yes, they are. <laughs> I wonder what else they're going to deliver. No, and and uh, look, folks, there's so much more, but I want to get um, Brother Gary on here. Um, but let me just leave you with this one last thought again. Um, they took out the United States took out the Nord the Nord Stream pipeline to solidify the deal, so that the European they want to kill people. I mean, really, let's just cut to the chase. They want to murder as many people. They want the civil war in the United States. You know why? Because then we all kill each other. makes their job easier. Everybody's like, oh, no, they're coming for my guns. I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> they want you to have as many guns as you want. It's just it's all a game, folks. They want us to kill each other. That's how it works. That's why, thank you, Jesus, we are all part of the kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Spiritual is our fight. 
Praise his holy name. And on that note, let's bring on Brother Gary. Here we go. Praise God. Brother Gary, are you there? I am, and uh, so happy to be on the show and so happy you're able to broadcast. I was certainly praying uh, as the week was uh, going through that uh, you guys would be spared and uh, hopefully uh, not too much damage, but apparently the damage is still a little bit further south of where you are, but not a whole bunch, but uh, so happy to be back on the show and uh, so glad that uh, you're not being prevented from being broadcasting. (laughs) If you had any idea, <laughs> you know, I, I, I did a three-hour uh, testimony. The labyrinthine series of miracles associated with what, what happened to me uh, during the entire event. And because it's just too much. It's just, it was too much. I can't just... It's too much, and it's amazing. I mean, I've been here for 21 years in this house, in this subdivision. If there's so much as a 25-mile-an-hour gust, the power goes out. And usually when it goes out, it goes out for a long time, a minimum of a day. Well, a minimum of about six or seven hours if it's minor. But if it's a hurricane, it's out for four days, five days, six days straight. And... um. I didn't even – I had um, – during the entire event with 65 to 80-mile-an-hour gusts, um, I had the uh, power go out. It didn't, it didn't go out. It didn't go out at all. But what I heard – I have APC backup power supplies here for the office, three of them, pretty big, Mac Daddy. And um, they can actually detect a brownout without you even seeing the lights flicker. They're very, very sensitive because they need to be able to switch over faster than the power can brown out. And so when the hurricane gusts were going and bearing down on the house from a hurricane that's 100 miles away for crying out loud, which never happens. Okay, and it's bearing down on the house, and I'm watching the gust meter because I'm monitoring a actual monitor from Tampa Airport hitting 80 miles an hour. And my Wi-Fi's up. My power is up. Now, I prayed over that before it, but it was a miracle. It was just a miracle. And, I, I, and the APCs, one time, Gary, one time, the APCs, they made that, that clicking sound that will send a chill right down your spine, and it's electric chill. It's like, oh, no, the power's going out. I wonder if I got enough gas for my generators. Because they, they, here's what they do. They go like this. They go... You can hear the relays flipping when the power drops below like 120 volts or 118 volts. They just go, and I heard it. I was going, in the name of Jesus, the power must stay on. (laughs) And it did. It did. I was like, praise God. This is like the first time in the history of the world for me. But anyway, (laughs) this show is all yours. I I couldn't resist. (laughs) Well, well, thank you. And, uh, Tonight's show is going to be on uh, Jericho, uh, chapter 34 of, of my book. And I thought I would reference people back to, to the last show that we did because we talked about the Holy Covenant 
uh, a month ago. And Jericho, I didn't include in the Nephilim Wars or the Giant Wars or the Raphaim Wars because it has sort of extra importance. And in my book, I I devote a a chapter to it because I think it's just that sort of important to to learn about. Um, It has uh, some end time in the uh, reflectors, I guess, uh, foreshadows, uh, some of the allegory is a, is a little bit the same if you, you get deep into what's really going on there. And so Jericho is reserved for a special kind of destruction. And so I thought it would be good to just sort of review that we talked about what was part of the Holy Covenant. I mean, we know about all the blessings and all of the curses and all of the curses that we're going through because Israel didn't live up to the covenant and, and had suffered the curses of the covenant, even though they were still able to produce the, uh, the Messiah through the curses of the covenant. Although that's a blessing, but by uh, all of the rebellion that they, that they did and their stiff neckness towards God. And, Within the covenant, there were a couple of edicts that Israel was bound to, and they're the war edict and the, you know, the going to going to war edict. So it's important to to understand that they had things that they swore an oath to to God, and in that it included to put the sword to all the men in the land, and We also covered that there was a separate set of rules for outside the land of the covenant as opposed to inside of the covenant. So once they cross over the Jordan, they cross into the the territory where there was an even more stricter sort of set of rules. And more than just uh, going to war and putting everybody to the sword, it was that they were going to do this lest uh, leaving those people in the land, the people of Israel would be caught into a snare, into a trap, and start to fall away from God, and God would have to do to them eventually what he planned to do to the countries in the covenant land, swarming with hybrid humans and Raphaim. And so you have this this covenant that is sworn and it's not just to put people to 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 the sword um it is to um leave nothing standing nothing recognizable left of the people and their civilizations and done to the letter of the law that there would be really no memory of those people that lived in the land. Now, that didn't quite happen, but they were told to do this. So destroy the altars, destroy the temples, destroy the cities, destroy the people, destroy their records, and have no pity on them, because if they did, it would be a snare. So if we look at it, that there's a covenant that's made, and that crossing the Jordan River is the first entrance into the land, and they're going to set up their base camp at Gilgal, Um, and that this is a time of holy feast and celebration. And in fact, as soon as they cross the, uh, the Jordan River, 
with the Ark of the Covenant, they're going to celebrate Passover. And that's going to play an important piece in what we're going to talk about tonight, uh, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread that, pa- that happens immediately after the Passover. So you have the Passover and then you have a special Sabbath and then you have the seven days of the of, of unleavened bread. And of course, if people aren't familiar with that, then they, they tend to also misunderstand the days of the crucifixion and the days that Jesus is in the in the grave. So when you're plotting the days from crucifixion to resurrection Sunday, you have to plug in an additional Sabbath that was happening right after the Passover, the special Sabbath, and then the Sabbath, and then the Sunday. So it's interesting as well that the Passover happens at a number of key fulfillment of the Adamite destiny and the Israelite destiny as part of the resolution to the angelic rebellion. Uh, Obviously, as a latter part at the time at the creation of Israel, where these things will happen, it certainly wouldn't have happened, at least that we have some sort of dating that anything would have happened on a Passover day before the first Passover that happened in Egypt. So Jericho is a very special city, and we're going to talk uh, in depth about it. And I just wanted to read the quote to you that I have that introduces chapter 34 for Jericho in light of the Holy Covenant, in light of the oath, and in light of some of the details that are going to take place there, because it really sort of puts things into perspective that says this is something for all Christians to take note of, all people of Israel to take uh, notice of, and all people of Judah to take notice of. And that passage is Joshua 6, 2 through 5, and it says, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. And we need to understand the kings and the fighting men. These are not just humans. These are hybrid humans. These are Rephaim kings, and these are warriors of hybrids and Rephaim that fill the ranks. And it's one of the most infamous cities of, of the ancient world that we'll talk about a little bit more as we go on. And to march around the city once, with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of rams, horns in front of the ark. So they have the Ark of the Covenant with them on this as well, on this daily march around Jericho for six days. Then on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with priests blowing the trumps. And so you have seven priests and seven trumpets. Interesting numbers there. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, and all the people will go up, every man straight in, and would be delivered up to them. And those are very, very important details as we compare that to what is happening with other wars that were before this and what will happen after this and how it relates to the Holy Covenant. So... The question that, you know, one of the questions I lead off in the chapter is, is, you know, why did Israel bring about the destruction through such a ritual? Well, the first answer is obviously from the scripture that we 
in, in the book of Joshua, chapter 6, is that God instructed him to do this way. So they were bound in the covenant to follow God and bound in the covenant to fulfill the covenant. And so it's like a ritual, but a holy ritual, like a holy feast, part of the prophetic feasts that are part of Israel's history that the modern church doesn't um, recognize that maybe the Passover they changed to Easter. Uh, if, you, if you want to call that re- re- recognition, I'll leave that for, for you to decide. And Jericho is going to be the first city that's going to be conquered after crossing the Jordan River. But why a ritual? Well, Jericho is thought to be one of the oldest cities in the world, if not the oldest city. I don't like to get too absolute on it because every once in a while people will say, no, we found something else that's older. But certainly a very, very old city and a very, very important city both before the flood and after the flood. And so it was an antediluvian city and a city that one deduces from being before the flood was occupied by giants just as it was occupied by giants after the the flood. And so it was a reminder, it was like a memorial to the post-diluvian world and the resurgence of the giants and the royals into taking over all of the Gentile nations that would form the beast nations. And it was a memorial to that civilization. And so it was renowned and famous for that, particularly amongst the Canaanites and the Amorites and you know, who had intermarried with, with the post-diluvian giants, the Rephaim. And it is the first city-state that's conquered. And it's, so it's not just a city, it's a city-state. It would have villages and cities with them. And typically, as we've talked in the past, it would be part of a five-city-state complex, uh, is, is, is what I've named as Pentapolis. And that would be a military, organizational tactic and structure that would roll forward into the time of the Philistines and, and until their destruction. And so... It is this antediluvian city that is one of the most powerful fortresses in the covenant land, and it's famous, and it's going to be the first city that's going to be destroyed. And it's going to happen right after Passover, which is very, very interesting. As I mentioned, they celebrate Passover immediately after crossing the Jordan River. And so when we consider the war edict and the going to war edict, two separate sets of details, and the one that is uh, the detail that is being uh, set up and implemented for the land inside and west of the Jordan River to the Mediterranean in that direction, we learn in Deuteronomy 12, verses 2 and 3, that they're to utterly destroy all the places of the Rephaim and the Canaanites and all the tribes and families of the Canaanites, of which the Amorites were probably the most dominant race. And in many passages in the Old Testament, it's almost used generically for all of the Canaanite tribes. But they, ha- they are a distinct tribe in itself, as what we covered. And Jericho is one of those cities that they're occupying, just as Jerusalem is for a time, and it's not always clear in biblical history as to when the changes move over to the Jebusites and when the Amorites had it, but it seems clear that both 
people that one time had control of Jerusalem, again, another ancient city. And so it's the Amorites that are occupying Jerusalem. And this is a very powerful city-state, a very powerful set of kings and bloodlines, a very powerful army, and they're cowered within the high walls of Jericho. And they're cowered in there because they know what just happened east of the Jordan River. They know what happened to Sihon and then Og. And these are the two most powerful kings with their pentapolis city-states. And Og had under his command 60 cities or 12 pentapolis city-states. And he's the largest giant that's recorded, at least from the bed size, that's recorded in, 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 the, in the book of Deuteronomy um, in terms of the giants that are recorded. So he's the last of the Raphaim, the last of the post-Diluvian giants. Giant in those passages goes back to the word Rapha and the male plural being Raphaim and I am is the male plural. And so he's, he's the largest giant and the most powerful giant and he's in the Mount Hermon region. And he had influence over the Jordan River. So he, he had alliances and interactions and had similar peoples because you had Amorites and Hivites also living in the Bashan area. And as Israel enters into the land of the covenant, they land, enter into the land of the mighty seven that they're going to have to take on. And some of them are... <clears throat> hybrid humans like the Amorites and the Hittites and the Canaanites and uh, the Jebusites and perhaps the Hivites, but those could also be part of the Hivim. So you, know, you have a tribe of hybrid human Hivites and you also have Hivim, uh, which are also part of the uh, nomenclature of the giant nations after, or after the flood. And you also have the Perizzites that I like to call the Perizim. And again, the Perizim does not have a patriarch in the table of nations. And, but they're part of the Mighty Seven. Just as when you get the Mighty Seven listed in Genesis uh, 15, there's actually 10 nations that are listed in there because you get the triple K in there as, as in addition to the seven. And you don't see the, the Hivites, but you see the Raphaim, which is sort of representing the generic name to the many tribes. So there could be more than just the Raphaim. There could there would be other tribes that are part of the land that God is going to give Abraham and then to his descendants thereafter. And so the Amorites, as I mentioned, are the most powerful and the most dominant, and they're occupying Jericho with the Raphaim bloodline. Uh, that they received from the Raphaim as Raphaim human hybrids. And so this is a city that is one of the cities that Israel is asked to destroy, but not to just tear down. They're told to, to, to utterly destroy the cities in the land of the covenant. And that's the Hebrew word haram, C-H-A-R, am as it's transliterated into english from from hebrew and it means as cursed this is a land that's cursed and that 
and a people that are cursed. It's cursed to be renewed, which is part of the ritual that we'll be talking about that Israel is doing. But the city is cursed and the people are cursed. And they are going to be destroyed as a foreshadow to the rest of the Canaanite hybrids and all of the tribes of Canaan are hybrids and their Raphaim leaders and warriors throughout the land of the covenant that this is a warning. Leave, leave now, or this is going to happen to you. And so this utterly destroy Haram just has the same sort of etymological connection back to the cursed Mount Hermon. Hermon, C-H. E-R-O-M, as it would be, and in, in translated out of Hebrew into English. And again, it's, it's, that's the place of oath. Only in this case with Mount Hermon, that's the oath that the angels swore against God. And so you start to see this holy covenant being stacked up against these oaths and this defiling of the covenant land with with polytheism and all the abominations that they did, all of the abominations that the Amorites would do as being the most dominant nation that was going to take 400 years to come to its full fruition and is the time thereafter of the exodus and then the conquest. So again, you can see these scriptural connections that are all tying these things together. And so it's going to be destroyed in a ritual, just as Haram is a dedication or a consecration for the destruction in a ritual form or a sacrifice. And in this case, a sacrifice to God would be part of the allegorical implication. And so it's appropriate then that it's going to be done at a time of the feast of the sacrifices to God and the burnt offerings, which we'll touch on in a, in, in a few minutes as well. And so when we look at how they're going to destroy the first city, it is so odd because to march up to the city, this very, very powerful military state is in their satellite cities are not going to march out and be destroyed and served up and, driven into a state of panic by the hornets that uh, was used to panic the giants and the hybrid giants throughout the conquest wars. Uh, and if you want to look at that as being one of the most important tactical weapons that God used to protect Israel and to serve them up for slaughter, that's at Exodus 23:28 on the hornets, Deuteronomy 7:20, and, uh, Joshua 24:12. They're staying inside. They're not going to make the same mistakes as Og and Sihon and, and the five kings of the Midianites made. And so Israel is permitted without really any opposition. They're permitted to walk around the city for six days in a row. And so they marched with the Ark of the Covenant. And again, the Ark of the Covenant is God with them and is part of how they did their most holy feasts and worship is, is, is in the same viewing area, although you're, they had to have the Ark covered and they couldn't look on the Ark lest they, lest they be struck dead. 
Uh, but it's part of that most holy of holy uh, worshiping of God that ended up going into the tent of the covering and then into the holy of holies in, in the temple after the time of uh, King Solomon. And so the ark was there. And the Israelites were to be silent. It's like a solemn, silent assembly as they march around for the first six days. And then they blow the trumpets and they shout on the seventh day on the longest sound of the trump. And so you create this big vibration effect that's going to bring the walls tumbling down, these giant walls that they had. And, you know, these walls were probably the greatest walls of the wall fortresses that were of any of the fortresses because they were antediluvian built walls for the fortresses of the larger Nephilim before the flood. And so when we look at what's going on here, we have this number seven, which is kind of a completion number, like seven days of the week. And seven is a very, very important number. And seven, as you look at the seven uh, seals and the seven trumpets, um, you have a consistency of completion of something that's, that, that, that's happening. And seven is, uh, as we look at the trumpet blasts in Revelations uh, 8 through 14, you have seven trumpets that's going to lead to the start of the wrath bowls that's going to come in the year of the Lord's wrath that are going to be poured out uh, over the whole world and part of the judgment part. Uh, for those who have taken the mark of the beast and totally rejected God and blasphemy God and worship Antichrist and worship Satan. And so seven is an interesting number as we start to get closer into some of the you know, meanings of some of the details here. And so you have destruction and renewal, which are kind of related in terms of what is happening here. The conquest was to not only destroy things in the land, but is going to renew it with the Holy Covenant and with the award, reward of Israel inheriting the covenant and the covenant land, and then to reconsecrate the land to the land of God that uh, he had set aside and gifted to Israel. And so you have war and destruction that's going to destroy what is there and then Israel is going to come along and, and rebuild it. And then as I mentioned and as Josephus mentions you have the Passover and then they go right into marching around for six days. And as we mentioned earlier as well this is the start of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, and it's a kind of an interesting and important uh, feast that is has sort of additional allegorical meanings. And so just before the Passover and in preparation for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because they're not going to eat bread baked with uh, <clears throat> yeast, that makes it rise. They're going to drink, you know, the flat. They're going to eat the flat bread for a whole week. And that is sort of a solemn kind of, of worship because what they're doing is, is they're removing the puffed up bread, so to speak. And 
bread is an allegory of of when it rises of puffing up or being proud or hubris and arrogant all the sins of the Raphaim, all the sins of the Nephilim, all of the sins of the hybrids, and particularly the sins and the Amorites and of the people that are living in the covenant land who defiled it in all kinds of ways, um, deliberately and willfully, and waited in ambush for the nation of hope to, to remove them and slaughter them from the face of the earth so they couldn't fulfill their destiny. And so... On preparation day, all of the yeast and all of the unleavened bread would be removed. And this is signaling the start to the removal of the proud and carried out to the letter that God was requiring. They would have removed all of the giants and all of the proud. And Jericho was a sacrifice of the first fruits. And, in, and also a sacrifice of a burnt offering. So just as they were instructed to take the bodies out and burn them, that is part of the burnt offerings that happens in, in the Feast of the Gods. And the Feast of the First Fruits is, is, is a, another celebration that happens just before the harvest. And uh, harvest is a end time allegory for Armageddon and for the war of Armageddon and for when Jesus comes on the day of Armageddon and slaughters with his double-edged sword all of those uh, who have taken the mark of the beast and worship Antichrist and worship Satan and so you get uh, another sort of implication and prophetic implication and Another detail that connects the Feast of the Lords in terms of the fulfillment of prophecy and how can, they can also help you understand end-time prophecy if you understand the, the Feast of God. And so the first fruits are those in the New Covenant, as we understand that in the Bible, they are you know, Christ's fruit. Christ would be the first fruit of the resurrection. And then all of those who are martyred for Jesus are part of the first fruits, including, by implication, I think the 144,000 who are called first fruits that are martyred, at the, fully martyred by the midpoint of the last seven years, as seen in Revelation 14, when their commission starts in at the beginning of the last uh, seven years so their commission will last for three and a half years i would include the two witnesses on that i would include all those people who are martyred for christ for the first thousand years and all of the christians that are going to be martyred before the first uh resur before the resurrection of uh, when jesus comes so you have the first fruits that are going to be as we're told christ the first fruits and then when he comes those who died in christ but not martyred and those still alive so Without getting too far down into another another story that is it would take a lot of time in itself, understand that the first fruits was built into the feast of the Lord. And so just as you have the first fruits that are offered to God through through martyrdom of his saints, you also have Jericho selected as the first fruit of the sacrifice of the taking back of the covenant land. And so it's the first city. 
And it is the city that is going to set the example for what's to follow throughout the complete generation until they grow too old and too tired uh, to continue on and, and Joshua dies. So this is a not only a siege of a city, but it is a holy ritual of as a consecration of destruction, haram that is taking place. And so all of the altars, all of the temples, all of the walls were just destroyed. Everything is destroyed as part of that whole dedication to utter destruction. And this is going to be, as I say, a sign for all of the other giant nations and hybrid nations to leave. But of course, they do not. And so this is the beginning of the taking of the covenant land. And the fulfillment of resolving the sins of the Amorites that were going to defile the land uh, until the time of the land of the covenant. So these seven trumpets are blown on the seventh day. So you have seven trumpets blown on uh, the seventh day, and you have these trumpets marched around for now seven days. And so on the seventh day, when everybody shouts on the longest sound, after they march around the city seven times, you have the people shouting in conjunction. That is going to bring the city down, and it's going to topple the walls down, and Israel's going to rush in. And I would imagine that there was a lot of death and destruction just with the falling of the walls and the buildings with that kind of destruction. But there still would have been panic that's in there. And again, Israel has the people served up for them. Just as God has promised to fight for him, for Israel, if they hold up the covenant, he will deliver on his, on his provinces or on his uh, promises. And everybody in the city is going to be utterly destroyed, except for Rahab and the family uh, that she's from, because Rahab is the the person who lives within Jericho delivering the reconnaissance information to the scouts and the spies from Israel who are scouting out how they're going to take it. So they provi she provides all of this intel to the Israeli spies and is, is rewarded with life for, for, for doing that. So everybody but Rahab and her family are utterly destroyed in this, in this ritual. And I can't, really describe for you because I've not seen walls these big myself but these were enormous walls walls that went up to the sky as are described like in several passages in uh, the Old Testament in the time of the uh, conquest and particularly one comes to mind out of Numbers 13 where the original scouts going into the land are bringing back the report these were powerfully high powerfully strongly built in thick walls. People have had, and as described in here, people who lived in the walls, there was people living in the walls with their homes. That's how thick those walls were. 
and they were made probably bigger over years and years and years, but uh, it takes a pretty thick wall if you're going to have homes throughout the walls, and there would still have to be significant thickness so you know beyond where those homes that were built into the walls so that you don't prevent weakness in the walls so that you don't let the enemy in they're designed to keep the enemy out and these so if you can imagine going up and looking at walls that high that thick made of stone and wondering how you're going to siege into those walls. You, you wouldn't be able to do it unless you had God's help. And of course, you know, on that, on that day, they certainly had God's help. And if you're going to siege those cities, you have to also understand they had iron weapons. They had chariots with reinforced with iron and iron weapons on the wheels. They had iron swords. And they had manufacturing facilities to make their weapons. So even if you were to break through in an area, they had an army that was far superior to the weaponry that the Israelites had. So, again, the only way for Israel to win is, is, is with God's help. And these walls, as I said, were a memorial. It was a holy memorial of polytheism it was like a, a, you know, these were fortress states that survived the flood and they are like holy sites for polytheism worshiping the the fallen angels. angels and so all of this is coming together in this ritual of haram to bring down the walls of, of jericho and do it as a sacrifice, as a, as a very similar as would be the first fruits of the uh, first Sabbath of when the harvest was going to be ready. So if you understand that in terms of the application of the attack, Jer uh, Jericho is the first city, the people who are going to be sacrificed are the first fruits on the, after the first Sabbath leading into the harvest, which is representative of the conquest of the land of the covenant, just as you have the same allegories happening in end-time prophetic allegory. And the seventh trumpet leads into the raffles, which brings in the Armageddon War and the harvest. So again, all the allegories, they all tend to work perfectly if you just sort of let them kind of flow, and you can get some meaning of what's going on um, with the conquest of Jericho and the conquest of the covenant land, it has a lot of parallels with the end time, just as we're going to see, I think just as we're going to see the impact of either the bloodlines or the resurgence of Raphaim and Nephilim in the end time, somehow, some way through the beast empires. So again, if you understand the concept that nothing is new under the sun, then all that starts to make sense and that the whole destiny of Israel is sort of laid out through worshiping their yearly feast to the Lord, right through to the day of atonement and into, and into the millennium. All those prophetic things that are going to happen in the epoch of Israel, uh, cursed or blessed, and it turns out 
were going through the curse part of the covenant because they weren't able to fulfill their holy covenant is going to be fulfilled just as you they have those reflections of those things happening. So just as you have Jesus being sacrificed at the time of Passover, the important things are all embedded into the prophetic aspect of the Feast of the Lord. And of course, uh, the harvest that is going to come is going to be a long harvest, but it starts here with Jericho, and then it's going to lead into the other cities that are associated with Jericho. And this is part of the central campaign, as we talked about. Uh, and if you go back a few shows, um, you can you can listen to me talk about the complete campaign of the uh, the central campaign. But this is the lead off of the central campaign. And there's also uh, the northern campaign, and then there is also the uh, <clears throat> the the southern and and mountain campaigns. And before they even cross the river, I call that the eastern campaign. So there's several different campaigns that happens over a generation to try and remove all of these people. But because they get tired and because they start to backslide, it never fully happens. So you still have Canaanites and, and hybrids still in the land of the covenant, just as you still have the, had the Philistines up till the time of David that were uh, attacking and persecuting Israel throughout the epoch of the judges. And again, the Holy Covenant is going to apply to the monarchy, as we talked about in the last show, and we'll talk about when we get into uh, David and King Saul, that as part of being crowned, they had obligations to continue the requirement not finished in the time of the conquest of the covenant land. And so that's why you're going to have the wars that Saul does, and that's why you're going to have the Davidic wars. Uh, which is just fabulous when you start to understand the context of who those people were and their bloodlines and their history, and you get context for, for those wars. And so uh, when we have the trumpets that are, are blasting, you have like a wrath of God that is happening on, Jerusalem, on Jericho and throughout the land of the covenant, through the covenant. So just as you have a wrath of God then, Again, that is prophetic allegory for the end-time wrath of God. And we ought not to confuse wrath with tribulation. Um, they're used in similar time periods, but tribulation is generally assigned to the saints, and wrath is for the judged. We're going to be saved from the wrath. So as you're reading about tribulation and affliction, separate that from the wrath of God because the tribulation of the saints is one thing and then the great tribulation that happens in the last three and a half years leads into Armageddon. And so you have that judgment of that year of the Lord's wrath, the year of recompense, is the time of the wrath of the Lord that follows the year of the Lord's favor. So you have many things that are going on in the last three and a half years, which begins with the Great Tribulation not seen since the creation of the earth, but it's a little bit different. But we start learning about this wrath of God concept in the conquest. And it's one of my sort of principles to 
relay to people is, is if you want to understand the full context of end time prophecy and a lot of the allegories and symbolism that's going on is you need to understand prehistory in the Bible and you need to understand the history of Israel and the covenant because it's all part of that defining concept. And you will also hear about the wrath of God as it comes up during the apocalypse, so to speak, of the northern tribes of Israel and then uh, later with, uh, you know, by Assyria, then later with uh, Babylon taking the southern kingdom of Judah into exile. And then again with the, the Greek uh, period where they're going to have like an, a mini abomination that goes on. And then the Roman diaspora of the southern kingdom because Jerusalem, Judah, Israel, Jerusalem, they're intimately tied to the beast empires. And it brings things about in prophetic history. And these are beast empire I would call patriarchs or ancestors who's going to produce. And even before, because you have Assyria and Egypt who are essentially empires of that time. And Egypt is where Israel grows up and then is released through uh, Moses and God from after being raised into a nation. Then Assyria is going to be the next beast empire, as we talked about, that's going to take the Assyrian uh, is going to take the northern tribes of Israel into exile. So everything that happens with the beasts and the beast kings and the beast empires is sort of centered around Israel in, in prophecy. Israel, northern kingdom, Judah, southern kingdom, Israel as is the greater one nation. And so you have this these allegories that help us define what the wrath is going to be like. And again, if you look at the people who are going to receive the wrath in the end time, there's not a whole lot of difference between them and what is going on under the Rephaim-led kingdoms in the land of the covenant. And they're defiling the whole land, and they're defiling the holy city of Jerusalem that the Jebusites and Amorites uh, ruled over just as Antichrist will defile with the abomination, the temple in Jerusalem um, that is used as the temple for the end time. But that abomination that is covering the Holy of Holies, which will be identified and, and defiled, is the same type of thing that's going on with the sins that are going on in the land of, of, of the covenant at that time. And thus comes the wrath of God. And they're worshiping the fallen angels. And they're worshiping religions of oaths. So they're swearing oaths. And they're worshiping the falling angels. And they are doing things against the laws of creation. And they're doing things to violate humankind. And they're persecuting and killing them in rituals. And one of the reasons why humans will be judging the fallen angels for the crimes against humanity and for the crimes against creation in the future time. And this is all going on. It's, it's like an ancient microcosm of nothing as new as under the sun of what they were doing in, in the covenant land and what they do or intending to do against Israel. It's what they're going to do against all those who stand up for God and Jesus 
in the end times. They want to wipe them just as they will want to wipe us from the face of the earth. So there is tribulation coming, and we all should expect to go through tribulation as, as what we are warned. And so the analogy for me is always so interesting as I link it into that principle of nothing is new under the sun and what it tells us that we're going to be up against as they come to full power with the seventh beast kingdom followed three and a half years later by the eighth kingdom, which is the kingdom of Antichrist once he makes an alliance with these ten beast kings to destroy Babylon and establish his own end-time religion. So this context really sort of helps us in a lot of ways if we start to think about that in terms of what we can anticipate and the kinds of people who are going to do this type of, uh, of persecution and tribulation um, that will come out of the headlines that uh, were being discussed before I started this show. It's amazing how things are moving uh, quicker these days. And so all in, in, and in reaction to this destruction of Jericho, you have, and we received that in Joshua 6 and 7, and in Joshua 9, you have the Gideon, uh, people of Gibeon, the Gibeonites, who are going to make a treaty with Joshua. And these are Hivites, as we talked about earlier, and that they're so fearful of Israel with what destruction that they've seen. And Gibeon is a royal city of the Rephaim and Amorites and all the Canaanite tribes that they are so intimidated that they're going to, uh, they're going to deceive Joshua and tell them that they're foreigners and they just want to uh, make a peace treaty. Uh, they end up actually becoming temple servants or temples of or servants of the uh, uh, of the Levites and the priests. So you have that as one reaction. Another reaction comes after, as well after the destruction of Ai, which is again destroyed in the same manner as as Jericho, as the details in Joshua eight. But after, oh, well, doggone it! Um, <laughs> looks like. Looks like he dropped right before the end of the program. Um, I guess you were hearing there were some little intermittent um, audio dropouts that occurred, uh, evidently even while I was talking. And I, I, I don't know. I thought it was on my end, but then after hearing a couple, oh, oh, he came back. Yay! Hold on a second, Gary, are you there? <laughs> oh, hopefully, I, hope yes. Hopefully, I wasn't talking to blank air for too long. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. As a matter of fact, praise okay. God. Go ahead, keep on going. Okay, I was just uh, kind kind of coming to a to a wind down. So you had after the fall of I, and after the same similar destruction of I with uh, Jericho, then you're going to have, which is really kicks off the uh, the central campaign. You're going to have five kings of the Amorites allied against Israel out of Jerusalem. Hebron, Lashish, Eglon, and Yarmouth. And they're going to be very upset about what the Gibeonites did, but they're going to have this incredible war that Israel is going to utterly destroy and rout them and many of their cities thereafter in similar kinds of destruction. And all of this, you would think, would sort of roll downhill. And at some point, they, these 
nations would say, hey, enough's enough. We need to leave. But they don't. They are all in and they are sworn to destroy Israel from the face of the earth so that they can't complete their destiny. And we can expect that same type of fervor against us as we go through the tribulations. Are you there? I still am, yes. <laughs> okay. So, so um, go ahead. No, I, I was just, uh, I, I had finished, so I just was waiting for Oh, you were tying a ribbon on right there. It, <laughs> I was, yeah. Okay. okay, cool. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Um, thank you so much, Gary. And um, this is, uh, for those of you who are new listeners, you can always um, scroll down through the uh, podcast. You can even search, I think, on the uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash tribulation dash now link and uh, find all the ones. Just type in Gary Wayne and you'll find uh, up to about uh, 18 other programs that kind of tie a lot of this together. Keep it real busy. What's the name of the book? This one's on how to how, how descendants of giants plan to enslave humankind. Um, but uh, what about... Um, uh, the new book that you have coming out, have you decided on a title for that yet? I have. We'll see what the publishers, um, whether or not they agree with it. I want to call it the Genesis 6 Conspiracy Part 2, and the subtitle will be uh, something to the effect how uh, understanding uh, the Raphaim and Nephilim in prehistory help us decode end-time prophecy. So it will be a subtitle very similar to that. So it's a prehistory and prophecy book, and it's it's going deeper into the, the Bible about the giants. Uh, as, as deep as I go in the first book, people want to, want to go deeper on this information, and I go real deep on it because there's a lot more there than people think. And then I tie it into end-time prophecy uh, throughout the book, and then I give – uh, not a full end time chronology, but I, I continue to walk through taking some of those uh, chronological events with the allegories and put them sort of in order. And it just sort of ties prehistory to prophecy and nothing new under the sun. Wow, that's awesome. Praise God. And thank you so much, uh, Gary, again, for joining us. Um, uh, a real big favorite uh, for a fan, you know, a, a very noteworthy amount of people tune in. And um, I, I just wanted to say again, thank you, brother, for taking the time to join us. It's, it's exciting for me, and I know it's exciting for other people to, to learn and to even imagine how, how deep this could potentially go. So, wow, this is, uh, this is exciting to know that this is forthcoming. Praise God. So thank you very much for joining us tonight, uh, Gary. God bless you. No, thank you. And uh, I have the 83 chapters done. I've done the preface. So now it's all just, uh, you know, cleaning up, uh, cleaning up the narrative and getting it off to the publishers. So I'm hoping uh, it'll be out, um, if not by the end of the year, early in the new year. That's awesome. Praise God. Let us know, too. Um, uh, and uh, thank you again for joining us tonight. Tonight is October the 2nd. It's a Sunday. We'll see you Wednesday night, Lord willing, if another dog nabbit hurricane doesn't come and blow me like all the way over to Galveston. Anyway, praise God. Thank you all for joining us tonight. <laughs> and remember us both in your prayers, will you? Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. We're, we're getting close, folks. Hang tight. 
Uh, Thank you, Gary. God bless you. Lord, we come to you with repentant hearts. We seek you with all our might. Sinners set the mercy of grace. Redeemed we are by your embrace. Praise his holy name. Praise the King of Kings. When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? For you we will endure until you come back for your bride to set her free. Write our names in your book of life. We are cleansed through your holy sacrifice. As we lift your name on high. Renew our mind. Renew our soul. Remove the scars from our past. And deem us righteous. We rebuke all deceptive lies. When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound for me? Till then we will endure. We are the branches on a living tree. When will your coming be? When will your trumpet sound? We will endure. Until you come back for your bride to set her free. Watch your I shall lift my obedient children to the clouds, for they shall see my glory.